It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome back to 365 Days with MXM Tune. I'm Maya, a singer, songwriter, video maker, Oakland native, and an advocate for disability rights. I'm also a huge fan of history. I love untold stories, gross facts, hidden secrets, anything weird, dark, and funky from the past. Each day, I'm going to share one of my favorite deep cuts with you. So let's take a look at today's stories. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff. No, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365. Today, in 1880, Helen Keller was born. She made her mark on American history as an author, disability rights advocate, activist, and a teacher. So let's take a look back on her impact. Born in Alabama, Helen Keller was a typical baby. But when she was just 19 months old, she came down with a serious illness. We're still not sure what it was, but historians think it could have been meningitis. Later in a memoir, Keller described her early years like a dense fog. She grew up without the ability to see or hear anything making it hard for her to communicate or experience the world around her. Over time, she taught herself certain signs to communicate with her family, and she could figure out who was around her by sensing the vibrations of footsteps. Keller's mother had read about another deaf-blind woman in Charles Dickens' travelogue who had been able to get an education, so she decided to seek out help. Have you ever heard of Alexander Graham Bell? He's most famous for inventing the telephone, but at the time, he was working with deaf children, so the Kellers got in touch and were introduced to Anne Sullivan. Sullivan was partially blind, and she had been educated at the Perkins School for the Blind. While she didn't relate to Keller's full deaf-blind experience, she understood the challenges that she faced. So when Keller was seven, she and Sullivan began working together. Later, Keller would describe that day as her soul's birthday. At first, Sullivan taught Keller how to spell out words for things with sign language. The first version of American Sign Language was developed decades earlier, in 1817, at a school in Hartford, Connecticut. But this was frustrating, since there were so many words for things that she'd never experienced. Then, Sullivan had the idea to get more creative with her lessons. Keller described a breakthrough that occurred when her teacher placed her hand into cool water to explain what water was. She wrote, the living word awakened my soul, gave it light, hope, set it free. From then on, Keller excelled in school, traveling with Sullivan to specialized institutes for deaf and blind children. Eventually, she gained admission to the Radcliffe College at Harvard University, becoming the first deaf-blind person to earn a bachelor's degree. But she didn't just graduate. She excelled and thrived, becoming a member of the elite collegiate honor society, Phi Beta Kappa. She was able to read widely in Braille, a system that blind and low-vision people use to read by moving their fingers along raised dots, which symbolize certain letters and words. Braille originated in 1824, shortly after ASL emerged. After college, Keller became an activist. She was a member of the Socialist Party and the Industrial Workers of the World, advocating for revolution. 
She critiqued capitalism for upholding a hierarchy in which, quote, the working class lives in want while the master class lives in luxury. Reading Braille translations of writers like Karl Marx and H.G. Wells, Keller noted that disability and low socioeconomic status were related. She came from a wealthy family who could afford to get her access to the best teachers. But what about deafblind people who weren't as fortunate? Would they live their lives without the ability to speak, read, or write like she had? Even today, people with disabilities face significant challenges in finding sustainable employment. Thankfully, in 1990, the Americans with Disabilities Act, or the ADA, was passed, which was a game-changer. Until then, it was legal to discriminate against people for having a disability. It's no wonder why, as Keller noted, there's a link between disability and poverty. People were being kept from getting stable jobs. The ADA also helps to make sure that proper accommodations are made in the workplace. This means, for example, making sure that a blind person would have access to reading documents in Braille. Still, as we know, legislation doesn't make problems go away. It's illegal to discriminate against people of color in the hiring process too, but it would be foolish to say that means that people of color never experience unfair treatment at work. Legislation helps sometimes, but human respect, kindness, and willingness to learn and change is also extremely necessary. Helen Keller proved in her life that people with disabilities are capable of accomplishing incredible things. But within the disability community, Keller isn't really a beacon of hope that you might expect. Helen Keller believed in eugenics, the idea of arranging human reproduction such that quote-unquote desirable traits are passed on. It's been proven time and time again that eugenics is a pseudoscience used to justify a blatant white supremacist and ableist agenda. I mean, the Nazis believed in eugenics. In this instance, Keller wrote about an incident in which a baby was saved from dying due to medical intervention. She believed the baby shouldn't have been saved, since it would grow up disabled and lead a more challenging life. You can understand why this idea would be infuriating and insulting to people with disabilities, especially since Keller herself proved how short-sighted and bigoted it is to believe that disabled people can't lead vibrant lives. At the time, this line of thinking was common, but just because it was more normalized does not make it okay. So, Helen Keller is a pretty complicated figure in history, but we can still learn a lot from her story of resilience and intellectual curiosity. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Now let's talk about music. Today, in 2018, Peach Pit released a song with the very long title, Did I Make You Cry on Christmas Day? Well, you deserved it. 
Really, the title is like something Panic at the Disco would release in 2005, but that's neither here nor there. Peach Pit is a far cry from Panic at the Disco. For a song with such a sinister title, it's the perfect soundtrack to a lazy summer day. And speaking of summer, releasing a song about Christmas in June is definitely a power move, and I'm absolutely here for it. And now for our final segment of today's show, I'll be going back into my own photo archives to see what I was up to on a June 27th in my life. On June 27th, 2015, I went to a Pride Park event at Dolores Park in San Francisco. It was my first event um, doing anything that was like Pride related. I think I probably went to Pride events before then. I can't really remember, but this was like the first San Francisco event that I ever went to. And if you know anything about San Francisco, it's that it is the hometown for a lot of gay history. I was not out in 2015. I came out as bisexual in 2017, which was two years later. But this was a really amazing moment for me. I'm really thankful that I grew up in an area in California that was accepting of gay people and also had such an outspoken community of individuals who were not afraid to express their identity, who they loved, and what they identify as. Because I think it really opened the doors for me to go to a place in 2017 where I felt comfortable enough to come out in the context of my community. So, happy Pride Month! Thanks for going back in time with me, and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can come back tomorrow for more stories from the past. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff, no, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365 with MXM Tune.